pray with me today. I just feel a really um, strong impression on my spirit uh, for someone or some people in here. Um, this morning as I prayed, I just felt like the Lord just said, Scott, there's some things that I've been working on, and today I want to bring them to fruition. And so uh, when I open the altars later on today, will you pray with me that, that today is the day of salvation for somebody? And if you've been thinking about it for a while, and you feel like, you know what, I don't know why, but I woke up and I just knew something was different, and you've come today to, to radically change your life and grab for hope, grab for peace, grab for forgiveness and reconciliation. Today is your day. I want you to pray for that. So today, will you pray with me just as we get our hearts ready? Father in heaven, I'm so thankful for your divine word. I'm so, thank I'm so thankful for your word. Lord, it just speaks to us. In every season of life, in every pain of life, in every success of life, Father, everything that we have need of, Father, is found in your word. And I pray today that no basket would leave empty. Fill us with your bread today. Give us your manna today. And let our hearts be encouraged, not just to eat of it ourselves, but, Father, to share likewise with people, God, who are just as hungry or have been as hungry as we've been in the past. I pray, Lord, fill us with your word. Fill us with your spirit. Open our eyes to hear, to see, and to hear, Father, what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been in our series on um, the full armor of God, and today we arrive at the last destination, and that is the sword of the Spirit. And so uh, I want to just kind of back up and give you just a, a bit of a reminder as to who Paul is talking to. Why do these words matter? Why does this scripture matter? Why, why does anything he has to say in this last part of Ephesians, which is, which is a heavy book. That's a heavy theological book. And, and, you know, Paul's just skipping through the tulips like everybody knows what predestination is and justification and the spirit of adoption and all those things are just normal conversations that we've been having for 1,500 years, Paul. Thank you very much. And so here we are at this place and Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus, and he, he, he says uh, some things that are heavy, but I want to remind you that this church is not an ignorant church. Uh, they have the best pastoral staff that there is. Paul started the church. Timothy's the pastor. Um, John, the apostle, is there at some point in time. Peter's out there doing outreach. Mother Mary's there doing women's ministry. They got the whole bag, right? Everything is good. And so they're a, they're a great church. In fact, we know they're a great church. They're one of the, the largest churches ever in history, somewhere between 250 to 500,000 members at some point in time. And not only that, but they also are known of their works. Even Jesus says, I your reputation goes before you. I know how you're patient and how you endure and how you don't permit false teaching. But there's a problem. There's a problem. And Paul says the problem is simply this, is that even after you have all of the best things in life for you to be equipped to be that child of God, you don't act that way. In fact, you're being named amongst those people who are called the sons of disobedience. You're just like the world to some degree. And Jesus says the reason why you're that way is because you've left your first love. And so there's an issue in the church. And so Paul comes down to it and he says, 
finally, let me, let me address the reason why you're, you're, you're missing the mark. You're failing. He says it's because you're not walking in the armor that God has given you. You're being attacked and you don't know how. And that's what happens sometimes. We can be a strong man, but even a strong man has to walk in armor when he steps on the battlefield. And so for you and I, we are to be encouraged that <clears throat> life comes at us sometimes rather viciously. Sometimes it comes at us rather seditiously. But we have to be mindful and understand that the enemy, whether he's trying to intimidate or whether he's trying to seduce, we have to be ready. And being ready in what Paul is saying is making sure you have the full armor of God. He encourages us in Ephesians 6.10 to finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He knows that that's the only way that you and I can ever be separate and not be named amongst the sons of disobedience, and that every attack that the enemy comes, because let me tell you what, if you're being attacked, it's not because you're special. You're just named after his name. That's how you know that your love of Christ is when the enemy is after you. So be encouraged by it. But at the same time, too, be wise. And to know that how are we to, how are we to defend against his attacks as we are to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God, we see five pieces of armor that's given to the Christian warrior. And so what we see is all of this clothing. We have the, we have the shield. We have the belt. We have the breastplate. We have the helmet. You know, we have the, the shoes. And we have the, uh, all, all these particular things on us. And we're ready. But at some point, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to just stand there and hold the ground. I don't want to just defend I don't feel like it's success for Scott Brandon just to say I've not been conquered. I want to conquer. I want to go forth and conquer. And the word tells me that I'm not just a conqueror, but I'm more than a conqueror. And so what does that mean to be more than a conqueror? Because I want to, I want to, and I want to encourage you this morning that, that you and I, we're not just supposed to stand there and just take the licks all day long. You and I are more than a conqueror. And Paul shows us this way. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. You see that the victory is right there, but can I tell you that the victory in scope is not the same victory that you and I are also walking out in a greater level. You see the word victory here, you guys know it's Nikos, where we wear the shoes Nike. Y'all have heard that before. Some of y'all might have those on right now. But that is Nike, Nikos, victory. But he says that we're not just victorious, but that we're more than victorious. Look at Romans 8, 35 through 39. You've read this, I'm sure, a few times. If you don't, put it on your wall, on your mirror, in your car, somewhere. But remind yourself, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, all these things are on the battlefield, right? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more. And the Greek is hypernikos. 
Not just, Nico, not just victory like we have over death, but more than that. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Christ is simply saying is this, is that the victory that he had over death was great, but the victory that you and I had that will never be separated from the love of God is more than you could ever possibly think or imagine. Don't you know that the battlefield is not about you having life, it's about you having relationships. And so the enemy does not want you to be close to your creator. And so he does not want you to love him. And so the ultimate victory that you and I could ever have is to have one that allows us to always be connected to the Father and to never lose his love. No hype. No angel. No things present. No things to come. Nothing in all of creation can ever separate you from the love of God. It is irreversible. And that's how you and I are more, more than conquerors. More than conquerors. And that ought to encourage you to have that David spirit that when you're on the battlefield and you're holding that shield and you're digging in with those shoes of peace and your helmet is being thumped over and over and over again, there ought to be something inside of you that says, though you come to me with a sword and a spirit uh, uh, and a spear and a javelin, I come to you in the name of the Lord and this day I will require your head and all the world will know that the God of Israel has delivered you depression, has delivered you addiction, has delivered you whatever it might be into my hand for his glory. We're, we're more. Are you more? Are you more? Boy, I wish I could put a fire in you. It says, you will not touch me, nor my family, nor my future, nor my church, nor my city. My, you're not going to do that. I'm more than a conqueror this morning. I don't stand in my own power, my own might. I stand in him who has given me the ability to conquer. And what is that ability he has given us? We see Ephesians 6, 17. And he has given us no plain Jane tool of weapon. Ephesians 6.17 says, and take the helmet of salvation. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Mm. I wish I could preach for two hours today. Y'all busy? Y'all got stuff to do? We got birthdays to go to. We call them on. We'll be about an hour late. We'll be all right. Let me discuss with you this morning and digress just a bit on the sword of the Spirit. That is the sword that belongs, it is a spiritual sword, but it's also a sword that belongs to the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit has a sword. And I promise you, you've probably felt that sword at some point in time. Have you ever been in service and, and, and it gassed at your pride? When the preacher was preaching and as he spoke and you felt his convicting power upon you and your self-righteousness buffed up, but somehow it 
pierced you and bloodied your heart. And Sunday after Sunday, it gnashed at you until finally you gave in to it. Did it not make your heart bleed? Have you ever been to the place where the sword of the Spirit has pricked your heart and you did not want to give in to the gospel? You did not want to give in to the fact that you are just as worthless as you already knew you were, that you were just as depraved as you already knew you were, that you were just as despaired as you always knew you were. But in this moment, you realize that the gospel is true and that I am wrong and I must receive it. And you wish that God was not right because if he, if he, if you admitted it, you knew you were wrong. There's been times in my life where I just said, Lord, kill me, kill me, but don't let this gospel be right. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to be this way. But the moment that that Holy Spirit allowed him or, or moved past our defenses and he found those, those, those dark moments in your soul and he pursued you and he pierced you with his word and you gave into it it was that same sword that freed you from fear from shame from sin from addiction from prideful thoughts from self-righteousness from abuse, from all those things that we carry with us. And that same sword comes in and relieves us of all the oppressors and all of the oppressions of life. It is the same sword that will kill and make alive. And so the word gave you life, but it was at first a great killer. And this is the sword. This is his sword. This is his sword that he has used. And you see what his work has done through the eons of age and his power to, to accomplish all that he wills it to do. And this is the sword that he has come to you and said, receive, take up the sword of the Spirit. I give you no other sword but the sword of the Spirit. It's like the king giving you his mighty sword. Oh, you know, I just had to bring me a sword today just so you know what I'm talking about. It's like, it's like the king giving you a mighty sword that you've not earned and you don't even know how to hold it. It's kind of big and you don't know how to wield it. But somehow he's giving you this sword and the sword in and of itself brings fear to your own life. Because if you know if you don't use it right, it'll cut you again. No other sword has he given you. He's given you this sword, he's given you his sword. And because it is his sword, we can trust it this morning. We can trust it this morning. It has never failed the Holy Spirit, the word of God. And it will never fail all those who receive it this morning. I want you to have confidence in that. You know how important it is to have confidence in something? How many of y'all have a pile of flashlights at your house? You hear me, Paul? You hear me? I got a pile of flashlights. You know why? It's because they work sometimes. And I got some that are really good. I got one that's my favorite. It's my favorite. I just can't get that thing to hold a charge. And every time I want to use it, you know, it, it, it works sometimes. But there's been a couple of times I really needed it to work consistently. You know, there's nothing worse than getting out there and it's pitch black, right? And you're trying to find something. You're working on a vehicle on the side of a road and you grab your favorite light and you press the button and it goes. 
You know what I mean? Y'all been there before? Is it just me buying Dollar General stuff? Is that my problem? (laughs) But but I just want it to work, man. I just need light in the middle of my dark situation. I just need a light that will work. And so when we talk about the word of God and we talk about this sword, I need to know that his word is as every bit as dependable as it is effective. And it is every bit as effective as it is dependable. I want something I can trust in. I can place my, um, my confidence in. And so for us to trust this weapon, we need to know what the Bible claims for itself. We, 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 if we question, when we question, and I hope that we don't, but ho- hopefully we'll get past that. But when we question the inerrancy of Scripture, the accuracy of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, the integrity of Scripture, we find ourselves reluctant to use it, right? We don't, we don't know. And have you ever had that question in your mind uh, where you said, you know, did man write this word? Or is this the very word of God? Inspired every single word written is his word. Or, or is it just a bunch of men that wrote their thoughts and passions and feelings and culture shaped them for their time and they were given knowledge and that knowledge was given impartially or somewhat impartially and this is what we have as the best of man's wisdom and myth or is this his word is it his word because however you view scripture will determine your confidence when you grab that sword because if you don't know that it will perform, then you'll be hesitant to grab it. In every situation, what we'll do is this. There'll be times when we'll grab other things because they've been trusted and true, and we've tried them, we've tested them. But if we don't know, if we don't know how dependable this word is, then there is a reluctance to use it. So go with me this morning. I'm going to use the metaphor of building a sword. Um, I'm going to, now I know the, the Word of God is not created, so please don't hang me on that. But I'm going, to, I'm going to borrow these ideas that there are three forges of the sword. And that is, one, the forge of infallibility. It's important that we know that our sword, the Word of God, is infallible. What does that mean? Also, there's a forge of inerrancy and then, then a forge of authority. And so with doubt, without doubt, there's more things than just infallibility, inerrancy, and authority when it comes to the qualities of the sword that make it so powerful. But you and I don't have all day. And so we're going to draw confidence from these three. So the first thing is the forge of infallibility. What do you mean, Pastor, when you say infallibility? It is the quality that states that it is incapable. It's incapable of error. It can't. It can't error. It's not possible. And so we're speaking to everything in the future. Everything that the Word speaks to, it is not, is not um, able to to tell a lie or to say something wrong or incorrect. Everything it speaks to, even though it's not existing right now, that when the word is spoken, when it goes forward, that thing will be true. It speaks to the future. It's not a matter of is what is said true, but rather if everything it says will be true. Let me give you an example. In the beginning, 
When God created the heavens and the earth, right, he said, let there be, and there was, right? When he said, let there be light, was there light? Well, no, there could not be light because he wouldn't say, let there be light, if there already was light. And so what he's saying is simply this, is that even though there is no evidence that light has ever existed, and even though we, so we have no history that says light's existed, we have no idea or standard to pull from, to draw, to say light can exist, light does exist when he says, let there be. Because his word is infallible. And, and really what that boils down to is simply this. is because your God is an omnipotent God. He is all-powerful. That means that if anything does not exist, then everything has to submit to the power of his will and come in to existence. Because his power demands that everything he says to be true is true. And he doesn't even call it to be true. It just is true when he says it. And so that's, that's the kind of sword that you and I are wielding is that when we pick up this sword, even the things, there's nothing in this world that gives us any reason or hope to believe that this will be. But you need to know that the word that you carry in your hand, the moment you make that cut, it will always cut. No matter if it has any reason or logic or hope uh, that it should never cut. If it makes no sense that it will never cut, when you swing that sword, it will always cut because the word is infallible and the very power, the omnipotence of God says that whatever I speak to, even though history may attest against me, even though precedents may push against me, even though the present situation of my life may press against me, all those things will stand wrong in the light of his word. Let me give you a reason and another example why as that comes true. It says in Romans, I think it's chapter 4, and Paul is talking about Abraham, and it says that Abraham hoped against hope. That simply means that Abraham hoped against all Human hope, all reasonable hope, all logical hope, all reason to have hope. When there was no reason to have hope, Abraham hoped higher because he believed in an infallible word of God because it was God himself that said, I will make you a father of many nations. And it did not matter how he did that. Through his, in fact, it was even through his son Isaac. So it wasn't just any old guy, any old body. We know Abraham tried that through Ishmael. They didn't work out too well. But through Isaac, he said, I will establish your seed. And so when he died or was going to die, Abraham had enough faith that even if he died, the Lord raised him up from the dead. And there was no occurrence in history that said that that would ever happen. But Abraham believed that God's word was so powerful, so infallible, that if God said it, everything would be a liar and his word to be the truth. Can I ask you this morning, is where is it in your life that everything is speaking to you saying it is absolutely, utterly impossible. That all of history says it can't happen. All of your present situation says it can't happen. All of your past, all of your past character, all of your naysayers, all those things come against you and say it is impossible. Do you have a word that says no? 
It is very possible because I hold the very infallible word of God. Are y'all with me this morning? Psalms 19.7 says this, the law of the, the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Not only is it perfect, but it is incapable of being imperfect. John 10.35 says this, and scripture cannot be broken. You cannot break that blade. And even if you try to compromise that blade, the word says this in Revelation I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. So it is perfect. It is unable to be broken. It's so complete that it's to not be added to or taken away. And if you do it, you forfeit eternal life. The Lord says you'll never compromise my word. It is perfect. It is complete because it is a representation of me. It is my character made manifest in terms of of intellect and understandable uh, terms and concepts. My word is applicable. It is alive. But not only is it all those things in terms of infallibility, it also has the ability to never be wrong on based off what it's already said. So it's not just infallible, but it's also inerrant. That simply means that all it has already said is true. Everything it has already said is true. Oh, I I wish you knew. I wish you knew the power of knowing that everything he's already said is true. Because, see, infallibility says if the Lord speaks it, if the Lord wills it, if the Lord says it, then it will be true. But I got something that I don't even have to guess if he's going to say it or not. I can look at it and say, he said this, and he said this for me. And because he said it, it's already true. I don't have to ask, the, oh, Lord, align my will with your will so that your word will perform true. It already has been spoken. And so that is so important to me because I need a sword that I can wield, that will never fail to cut on behalf of Scott Brennan's life? Have you ever felt like you've been in a battle of sickness and you just can't win? And you just can't be made whole? And you just can't breathe for me particularly? Or or, or whatever it might be, it may have been cancer, or it may be a struggle to have children, or whatever the issue might be. But you know this, for some reason, your body's not right, and you're on the battlefield, and you believe in the Lord to heal you, but it seems like all you're doing is trying not to be conquered. And I would remind you that the word this morning is inerrant and says in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins. The word bore is a past tense. It's a done deal. And his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his root wounds you have been what? That's a past tense thing. That's an already done thing. It's been settled already. We don't have to pray. God, will you please, if it's your will, the Lord will heal me. His word says he will heal me. And so I'm aligning to his word because his word's inerrant. And so I apply that over my life. Have you been on the battlefield before and you've been there so long and the fight has been so long that you have found hopelessness creeping into your situation? 
Maybe depression, maybe oppression, getting into your mind and pulling at your strength, pulling at your belief, pulling at your hope. You say, Lord, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to hold on to this battle. And, his Lord says, and the Lord says to you this morning, Isaiah 51.3, for the Lord comforts Zion. That's his people. He comforts all her waste places. All her waste places. And makes her wilderness like Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. I need you to know this morning that sometimes on that front line, it wears you out for a long time. But take courage this morning. The Lord even knows your desert places. He knows your waste places. He knows when you can't sing. He knows when you can't rejoice. He knows when gratitude's a difficulty in your life. And he says, I am the Lord who comforts Zion. And I will bring my word to establish our remind you that it is an error and that my peace, my righteousness, my joy, my faith, my love is for my children. And if my word is a liar, then I am not true. I am not existent. I am not the Lord. Then there's sometimes you're on the battle front and it feels like I got this battle. I'm facing this battle. I'm trying to push through this battle, but if I lift my head and I see the totality of the battlefield, I'm even more overwhelmed. Father, even if I fix my finances or my health or my marriage or my situation or my relationships, even if I fix those things, have you even seen this world we live in? Have you even seen the culture that I live in? As I was thinking about this, even just this morning, the Lord dropped this on my heart, and so I would say to us that when the battle for our country seems to be losing to more pride than it is promised, let me remind you of something. He says, listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed by their, at their revilings, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness that you wear upon your breastplate, and my salvation that you have clothed upon your head, will last to all generations. All generations. Let them have pride. I'll take my promise every day. All day. And I know that this word is true because Proverbs 35 through 6 says every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Psalms 12, 6 says the words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground purified seven times. Psalms 119, 140 says your promise is well tried. <laughs> you're, you're using a sword that has seen many, many battles. You're not, you're not picking up this sword hoping it's going to stand true. It has never failed. It has been tried true, and it will do the same for you and me this morning. Not only that, but can I bring some more confidence to you? Is that the Lord says all of Scripture is nothing more than the the. the, the uh, the representation or the pointing or, or the shadow to who he is, the reality. John 5.39 says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You're looking for everything else in the scriptures. You think that is where all life exists and you can grab confidence for that. But he says, let me tell you this. 
It is they that bear witness about me. Here's what that means for us. That the, the Lord says, if any of the word of God is true, then Jesus is a liar. Because the word of God is Jesus. For he was in the beginning and he, he was the word, right? And the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the very word of God. And so if any part of the word of God is wrong, if any part of the word is, infallible, is fallible or errant, then that means you and I have lost all hope. We are serving a God who has not been resurrected. He is powerless. He didn't really change the world. He didn't really change the timeline. He didn't change none of those things. But everything that I know and believe and have heard and received and God has spoken into my heart says that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. That must mean that his word is what it says it is. And I can hope on that. But it's not just infallible. It's not just inerrant. It's also authoritative. And so there's a forge of authority. Isaiah says this. He says, hear. Hear, O heavens, right? Open your ears, heavens. Open your ears, earth. What the Lord has to say. That all of creation is subject to his power. Hebrews tells us this, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I don't know if you've ever geeked out long enough to realize and see how big this universe is. But to know that his word upholds it all is pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, Tell us that the authority is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That it has the authority to tell us what is right, how to be taught, how to be corrected. That we are to submit ourselves to the word of God. That, that's, that's, that is our role. And lastly, Isaiah, I say lastly, we could go all day. But for today, lastly, Isaiah tells us this in Isaiah 55. He says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not Return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose it and shall, in, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is the word. This is the sword that you and I have. Do you have confidence in it? Do you trust in it? Do you believe in it? Because sometimes I feel like what we do is just hope that it will cut. Hope that if I do push it will penetrate hope that somehow that this word will be sharp enough for my situation today and not really believe that that sword has never failed and can never fail. So this morning, I just want to remind you in terms of its authority is that it has the ability to command all creation to listen to it. Ask Joshua when he's told the son to be still, if the word of the Lord is powerful, that he calls the son. Did you know they, they run that back in science and they cannot explain it, but they can see that for whatever reason, the son stopped for a day. It doesn't take me long. I just read my word and I go on. I know what happened. But that's how powerful the word is that Joshua would say, Lord, would you stop the son so I can destroy your enemies? I like that prayer. 
But not just that. It also has the ability to uphold the universe by the word of his power. Anthony flew. He, was, he, he wrote the sandbox of atheist theology. Everything you would read now would come from his writings. And at the age of 83, Anthony flew, turned his perspective about creation and embraced that there was a creator who was upholding the word by his power. At the age of 83, do you know at the age of 83, you ain't changing your mind much on anything? On anything. And he changed his perspective overnight because he caught a glimpse of the word. And matter of fact, from that point on, it says that when you're an atheist or an agnostic and you change your mind so rapidly, what they say about you is this, that you got the flu. You got the flu. Because his word's that powerful. It can separate that quick. Or perhaps it takes worthless men like Saul of Tarsus, like John Newton, the slave trader who wrote Amazing Grace, like Nicky Cruz, the, the, the gangbang member, drug dealer. Or even he takes smaller, lesser, worthless men like Scott Brandon and says, I can take these men that no one else would ever entrust with society to contribute and I can train them up in righteousness and I can send them forth. They may have been rejected on the normal scale of things, but because my word has authority and I commanded it to teach them, it will do as I tell it to do. That's the kind of word of God that you and I are submitting to. What sword do you wield this morning? Does your sword have authority in it? Do you release authority when you pray, when you ask, when you believe? Do you receive with authority? Well, I knew I was going to receive this because your word's infallible. Your word's inerrant. Your word's authoritative. And when I speak your word, I speak the very will of God. And so what is our responsibility this morning as the worship team comes? What's our responsibility this morning? Let me just remind you. We, we, we think, Pastor Scott, I, I, that's a big sword. I don't, I don't know that I can wield something that big. You know, you know, Jesus wielded a sword. In fact, do you know when Jesus was tempted by the devil, when he was confronted by the Pharisees, when he was condemned by the people and the government, and when he was on the cross in agony, do you know what his response was to each and every situation of his life? The word. Jesus spoke the word. The word spoke the word. And can I tell you that if Jesus finds it fit to speak the word, it's so important you know the word. Do you know that in the second temptation of Jesus, Satan comes in. And the first one he says, if you're the son of God, make these stones to be bread. And he says, it is written and rebukes him. And the second time he comes in, he says, he goes, if you're the son of God, he goes, then cast yourself off this top of this, this high temple. He goes, for the word says, here he is, the word. He's speaking the word to the word. For the word says, and he twisted it. And, and when I read that, I realized this, if Satan is as audacious to think that he can mislead Jesus, the Word of God, like he did Eve in the garden. He's pretty, he's pretty arrogant. 
And I thought, you know what? It's nothing more than Satan wants than a church who's ignorant. He loves a church that doesn't know the word. He loves the people who don't know the word. And don't think, don't think for a second, he thinks less of you. If he would try to confuse the very word himself, he will come to confuse you. You need to know this word. You need to quote this word. And you say, Pastor Scott, I I don't know if I can. It's a big word. But you know, Paul, in his writing, he said, makara is the sword, but... But the, but the Greek Roman soldier or Roman soldier, he, he carried two swords. And so Paul didn't specify what he was talking about. He had the gladius and he had another one called the pugio. And the pugio was a small little dagger that he put right here. And he hung on his belt. And you, you couldn't fight a lot with it. But when you were in the battle, you were holding your shield and the enemy was close. Remember we said earlier, uh, weeks back, that he was, the enemy is face to face, right? That he's against, he's against, he's against. And when you're so close, Paul would say, or Paul would allude to the fact that you could pull this word, this rhema word, this specific word, this small, short, powerful word, and you could, boom, hit the enemy right there. And, and can I tell you, when you've, if you've ever been... If you've ever been face-to-face with the enemy, right, against rulers, against authorities, against spiritual wickedness, against cosmic powers, we were pressed in on every side was what Paul said. You don't got a lot of space to be whipping out your big gladiator sword and whipping it out, right? I got just enough room to hit you and hit you and hit you, and you can get off me too. I don't, now listen, I'm not really a violent man, but I don't take too kindly to the enemy. But I want you to know is that sometimes the enemy will come to you and he'll say, and you don't really know the word. You don't really know scripture. You don't know what that means in the Hebrew and the Greek. And you don't know what that means in this context. And you're confused. But if you can just get you a small enough word if you can get you just a, just a small word for the moment to get that enemy off you, it'll be enough. And so this morning, here's how I want to close. I know that this word is so powerful and so significant that, that we hear it time and time after a while and become almost inoculated to it, desensitized to it. And I think it's really easy for us to sit here Sunday after Sunday and even some of us might even be here. We won't even attest to the word of God. We don't even really claim the word of God. We're, we're here for f- friends or family. Or our kids have wanted us to come to church and we're here. And you've not yet given yourself to the word this morning. I would ask you. There's no greater thing in life than to submit yourself to the word. You'll never know a more kinder blade. You'll never know a more caring edge than the Word of God this morning. Because it's not the blade, it's not the edge, it's not the sword. It is the very person of Christ. 
You know, sometimes in life we, we come to Christ because we need provision. And we come to Christ because we need a friend. We need peace. We need comfort. We need healing. We need all those things. But Jesus says, I just want you to come for me. I just want you to come for me. And so this morning, if I, if I, could, if I could beg you. Oh, God, I would beg you. Submit to the word this morning. Please. Let him whittle out the things in your life. Those addictions, those struggles, that bitterness, that unforgiveness, those things that have you so tied up. Oh, I would beg you, let your life be changed. Let your marriage find brand new life. Let your situation find hope. Find love when you've only experienced unforgiveness. Find freedom where you've only found change. Find new life and be separated from everything that you've ever been called or, or predestined to be. Know that he has a higher calling and a higher purpose for you. Would you stand this morning? Here's what I want to do. I want to open the altars. I want to pray for you. Church, here's what I'm asking. I need you to pray in this moment. When we open altars, if the, if the altar call is not for you, then you're not a standby. Or you're, you're here with me. And I pray you would unite with me in prayer this morning. Because I believe somebody here has heard the glorious word of God that you and I have heard. And they want to respond. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, pray with me. Father in heaven. You see your child. You've heard your word. I don't want to fancy the moment. Oh, Holy Spirit, use your sword this morning. Liberate them from the past. Free them from the struggle. Answer our prayer. Mend a heart. Bestow a brand new life. Lord Jesus, I pray. Today I want to ask you if you felt that that prick that cut you to the heart that thousands heard when Peter preached. They said, brothers, what must we do after hearing this word? If that's you this morning and you're saying, Pastor Scott, I need to do something and respond to this word. I feel the Holy Spirit touching me. Would you raise your hand this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm in no hurry. This is eternal life. Thank you. Father, I pray for my brother, my sister. Today, it's not just a moment of decision. Father, we're talking about life change. I pray, oh, holy God, that as I'm about to meet with them, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would guard all of us 
not just in matters of salvation, but God, even matters of sanctification. Lord, there's so much in us that's not right, that's not like you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, we just don't hear an encouraging word, God. We've not come here, God, for holy Confucius sayings. But I need, Father, something that changes me, something that reveals me. So I pray, God, this morning that everyone here would leave, God, feeling your blade, knowing your care, changing us, God, to be more like you. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Before you leave, I, I, I want to I say this to you. And then if you raise your hand, I want you to come down. I want to meet with you. We're going to be dismissed. I just want to meet with you privately. I want to remind you of the Word of God and the power of it. I read this excerpt in the Gideon Bible, and I thought it was incredible, and I wanted to share it with you. And it says this. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cherish you, to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is the grand subject, our good the design, and the glory of God is the end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be open at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, reward the greatest labor. And will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. This is the word of God. And we get to hear it and read it as much as we ought. Oh, I pray this morning as you leave that you'll be encouraged with that. Don't forget as you go, this Wednesday night is worship night. We'll see you. We love you. You're dismissed. If you raise your hand, let me meet with you. I'll meet you right here. God bless you.